ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Today's podcast is going to touch on some of the most prevalent and prominent conversations happening right now in the entire medical world and health and performance world. We're going to talk about optimization of the brain. We're going to talk about red light therapy. We're going to talk about energy optimization in as much as it influences and impacts our ability to think, focus, and ultimately perform mentally. Today, I sit down personally in his office with Dr. Lou Lim, a doctor of natural medicine with multiple degrees and diplomas and certifications and professional accreditations in engineering, neuroscience, business, and even accounting. And Dr. Lim is a true genius in his field, the true pioneer in his field of red light therapy. His interest began um, many, many years before it was the relatively uh the relatively significant fad or relatively significant science it is now. His technology utilizes light within the red and near-infrared spectrum to stimulate the body, particularly the mitochondria, to release energy. And so you may be familiar with Dr. Lim's technology. If you see people walking around wearing an incredibly unusual-looking device on their head and shining light up their nose, but this, this technology is truly innovative, incredibly effective. I use it personally most days. It's probably four or five days a week. And the difference I feel is tremendous. This technology, which we're going to discuss in detail, is called the V-Light, which ultimately helps the body to release nitric oxide, relax blood vessels, and ultimately lead to improved circulation in the brain. And can do so in the body as well when you use red light anywhere on the body. Um, it's so useful when it comes to people looking to heal their brain or regenerate tissue and ultimately uh, recover from any type of traumatic brain injuries or any type of brain uh, degradation over age. Uh, so a few points from today's podcast, how to use infrared light therapy and ultimately what's called photobiomodulation to enhance brain function. We do a deep dive into what's called the default mode network and its importance to the overall brain. We talk a little bit about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. We talk about the significance behind a particular frequency in the brain called 40 hertz. We talk about some limitations with that normal LEDs would have. So you can't just shine any light up your nose. It doesn't quite work the same. It has to be a very specific frequency. How to personalize the treatment of photobiomodulation for yourself based on whether you're trying to improve from illness, optimize recovery, or ultimately enhance brain function overall. Talk about the ongoing research on traumatic brain injuries and so much more. Today's podcast is truly a deep dive, and I feel incredibly blessed to bring this incredible expert to you and to myself and the world. And today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Buy Optimizers. This mega deal is available only for my listeners with my code, code MUSCLE10. Yes, you heard that's right, that right. Now, um, You've already obviously heard me speak about Bioptimizers. If you've ever heard this podcast before, you know I love their products. These guys are truly pioneers in the space. They're not just doing Me Too products like everybody else. They're doing some of the most effective product formulations that I've ever come across. If you're not already using their based formulations, go over there now and take advantage of this incredible deal. This is not even the type of deal you'll find on Amazon or anywhere else. This deal is going to knock your socks off. Ladies and gents, Thank you very much for being listeners of the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 
That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash muscle. Or if you just go to bioptimizers.com and use the code muscle10, you get hooked up with incredible discount, but don't waste any time. And now on with our podcast with Dr. Lim. Dr. Lou, I'm absolutely grateful to be in your amazing building. Um, I've been a fan of your device for a long time, and I'm learning some incredible things that this is capable of. So thank you for making the time to uh, be here and present to myself and the audience um, what V-Lite really is and what it's capable of doing. So I want to get back to, you know, everyone starts with the background, and I think that's important to talk about, like, where did this come from? And why was this an interest area of interest for you? And maybe you could talk a little bit about your background when it comes to um, brain optimization. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the technology, which is what I'm mm-hmm. usually interested in talking. Uh, I think it's still relatively novel, using light to stimulate the body or the brain. It was more normal, novel a few years ago, mm-hmm. but I think uh, people are starting to understand red light therapy. They hear a lot about it, yeah. especially athletes, people who are, sp- who are aspiring to be athletes. So it's not that new, but... <clears throat> Just a little bit of reminder. It gets interesting because of the fact that light within red and near infrared, you know, this uh, window spectrum can actually activate uh, your body, particularly it gets down to the mitochondria to, to release more energy. But the more important thing is that it is able to perform some interesting things like uh, releasing the trapped nitric oxide in the electron transport chain, release it back to your body, relaxes your blood vessels, you get more blood circulation, and nitric oxide has some other good functions as well. But the other thing it does is it helps to release growth factors, growth as in helping the tissue to regrowth and repair, including the brain. So you get of certain substances like brain-derived neurotrophic factors that helps your brain to recover, uh, to even regenerate new neurons and connectivity and stuff like this. So that's the technology part of it. Uh, V-Lite is, I would say, we're at the, at the frontiers of discovering a lot of new things, particularly uh, we focus on the brain, but in the meantime, we don't forget the body and what we've done has, particularly in the area of, say, the immune system. So I guess the, uh, the big thing that we achieved recently was the approval of Health Canada to, um, to be able to make a claim that this helps with treating COVID-19. Wow. So maybe you've not heard about it. No. <laughs> Let me introduce. The- yeah, mecha- I'd love to hear mechanistically how it's happening. Yeah. So that's, that's that. So it, it does show that the regulatory authorities are beginning to recognize that. Yeah, not because of uh, what a lot of people are saying, not because of the word of mouth, but we are starting to support further biomodulation, its, its effect on the body for now. Uh, for the brain, we have quite a lot of data too, uh, to treat even, you know, conditions. So this is based on robust data. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's 
that's indication of you know it's working on, yeah. on, on the so before we get into the data which i want to get into uh, at length is like let's walk through this this device and what is on this device and what exactly is it doing so we know there's a there's a light that you suggest shining up your nose you've got other things on here as well if you just walk us through this device i'm very curious what all these things are okay this is <clears throat> this is a the model that we you know is available to the public mm -hmm. to help with brain stimulation. Now, why is it designed this way? You, you can have like, you know, uh, people hear about photobiomodulation. So, okay, get yourself exposed to red light panel and all that. So why do we even bother to have it specifically like that? We could have helped uh, in, you know, in an easy way would have been do a, like a safety helmet. Yep. A lot of the LEDs there just, you know, kind of just uh, put them together, turn on a switch, and 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 uh, shine the brain. Now this this way of doing it is appreciating the fact that red and infrared light can penetrate through the scalp, you know, into into the cranium and into the brain. Okay, that is what red and infrared light can do. It penetrates to a certain level. And then it, uh, there's indirect signaling going on. It, you know, then you get the whole brain responding. Uh, what we are doing this specifically is to um, locate these modules, LED modules, on specific locations for a couple of reasons. One of which is we are directing this to a network called a default mode. And this are pointing to the hubs or the nodes of the default mode. So, so there's people, four different hubs, is that right? Yeah, these are the hubs yep. that are connected together to form the default mode network. And the default mode network is kind of like a template network of your brain. Uh, it's called default mode because, you know, when you're not doing much, you know, it goes, this is the default network that is operating in your brain. Usually when that's healthy, your brain is healthy. Um, so it's good to treat it, and it is related to a number of conditions like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's, general functioning of the brain. Um, this is what we we strive to achieve to do that. So we do that because we also keep things simple. Now we have specific modules so that we can manage the power. You need a certain what we call power density to to have an effect on the brain. Too little does nothing, too much will give an overdose. So we, we want to be able to manage the power to have, to have at least a certain level of power density. Now, if you uh, you just have a normal LED, normally the LEDs are, you know, available off the shelf. In my opinion, it's not enough to give you the enough penetration to give you the... Um, to achieve the certain level of outcomes in the brain. So we, we do this. Um, otherwise, it is probably better to just go out in the sun, you know? Yeah. Actually, uh, do not underestimate the, the healthy benefits of going out in the sun. Yeah. It's good for you, full spectrum. But being able to do this allows us to, to have the more power to a certain level. Uh, without some of the negative side effects you know, of the sun, is if you go out there, it's uncontrolled, you are exposed to ultraviolet light, so you're exposed to long, you may have other problems. 
Now, this also allows us to do things like, other than focusing on certain areas, allows it to pulse a certain frequency. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't do this in the sun. The sun is still good for you, but this allows us to explore and achieve certain uh, outcomes that we target. Mm -hmm. Now, what we are discovering is that when we pulse a certain frequency, you get different effects. Uh, certain power gives you certain effects. So, <clears throat> while we are still investigating, we are forever doing research, and you will experience that a bit later when mm -hmm. you, you know, do the EEG. Uh, allows us to continue to explore what is possible with a device like this. What is possible if we change the parameters? But for now, we make it, we make something available that is easy to use. You press a button, and that is generally for most people, is going to have a brain. We pulse it at 10 hertz, which is alpha in EEG terms, yep. and 40 hertz, which is gamma. And you can alternate between those on the yeah. device? Yeah, uh, there's a button there, you, you can just switch. Like this is a duo, you can switch back and forth. Or you can just have the alpha, like we generally uh, recommend the alpha 10 hertz for say, traumatic brain injury. Um, it is based on the data and based on literature. You know, other people have done some work too. And it's not as exact as the gamma at 40 hertz, which we are recommending for, say, uh, for issues that relate to memory. Gamma helps with memory consolidation. And uh, if we go higher, it may be, you know, helps with training the memory as well. So, and also the gamma uh, is now being used in our clinical study for Alzheimer's disease. It is used elsewhere at 40 hertz for Parkinson's disease because at 40 hertz, other than, you know, the functionality of the brain, try to get other brain functions together, gamma, it helps to activate these certain group of brain cells called a microglia, the, the non-inflammatory types to remove these this unwanted deposits in the brain, like the beta amyloid associated with Alzheimer's disease, like the alpha-synuclein that is associated with Parkinson's disease, and generally uh, helps to just clear this stuff from the brain. Yeah. So can you talk to me about the, the electrical, I guess the voltage? So you say the... Um, you know, too low is not going to do anything too much. It's going to do a lot. I'm curious, and this is, you know, not hugely relevant, but I'm actually very curious amount of electrical voltage is coming out of that. What is the range you guys suggest? And then what's too much? Because you say if someone goes just at home and shines an LED on their head, it's not going to penetrate deep enough. I'm curious what the voltage is in that case. Uh, so it's not usually the voltages, is in milliwatts. Milliwatts. Um, so watt is an expression of the energy mm -hmm. in terms of dosage. So, so here we, we, we try to get enough wattage in terms of milliwatts to have enough penetration, but not too much that we think can damage. Now, what we use here is LED. In the older, in the 30 years ago, um, you know, people were using lasers. The lasers is more like coherence. You, there's more, there's more, you know, concentration on the photons going in your brain. And that is, uh, you have to do exercise more care 
in doing that. But LED, when they're in contact with the skin, that's pretty much what the laser does because you don't have the attenuation from the distance. So that is, uh, we use that. Now we want to have enough. Now what we want to, what we try to figure within ourselves, what actually works. Um, so from literature, from experience, we, we want to, um, to have enough, like say over here, we are looking at 75 milliwatts per square centimeter. So when you do a per centimeter is the, the density mm -hmm. of the uh, light energy going to that particular spot. At the back, we are trying to achieve 100 milliwatts. Uh, we can go a little bit above that. And the nose uh, is 25 milliwatts. So we believe that this amount of energy uh, over a certain amount period of time, like we do this for 20 minutes, it shuts off automatic, you know, automatically in 20 minutes. It gives you enough uh, dose for the day without doing too much for overstimulation or too little you may. One thing about photobiomodulation, there are reports with other helmets that have much lower power density uh, seem to have an effect. So photobiomodulation has an effect even with low, yeah. but maybe uh, suboptimal. So you can, you know, it does some, but you can do more. So what would be the negative, the reason I asked that question is what would be the negative side of if someone were to do this repeatedly or if the wattage were too much or the volt, yeah, wattage? Okay, you want to have enough? No. I mentioned about doing, not doing too much is because what photobiomodulation does, you know, I talked about the mitochondria. The other thing it releases are free radicals. You know, I'm talking about, you know, um, uh, free radicals that need to be removed, mm -hmm. right? So, so your body is always trying to neutralize the free free radicals, and and uh, if you do too much accumulation, your body is not having enough to remove that. See, you accumulate free radical um, in your brain. So, so this this are uh, you know by. Biologically, it's the reactive oxygen species, mm -hmm. ROS. In our body, releases the SOD, superoxide dismutase, yep. to help neutralize it. And uh, at some point in time, you just, the, the swing goes, you know, the, right. the other way. We want to avoid that. So we think, we think there's the amount of time for, you know, once a day for some people, uh, once in two days for most people is probably enough. Yeah, you said that previously. So someone who's got a healthy brain once every other day is, is good for maintenance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it also depends on the tolerance. You feel that, okay, you're going through a lot of stress. You're, you know, you're doing a lot of mental work or you're doing, you're getting stressed or you're undergoing, um, say, some impairments in your brain, you can do more. I've known of people who do it twice a day without any side effect. And I've known of people who just like, Five minutes they feel too much. Mm -hmm. So like overstimulated? Yeah, some people are sensitive or even to light. Mm -hmm. um, we have just the intranasal. They're very low powered. I've known, I've come across people who are so finely tuned. They're outliers actually. And they feel, oh, this is too much. Mm. So, but this is a generalization for most people. If you don't feel... A negative effect like headache or you feel exhausted is probably okay. If you start to feel some exhaustion or 
on dryness, okay, come back. But I would say when we say once every two days, it's, it's probably okay for most people. Yeah, so of the people that you've sold this to, which I'm sure is high, have you had any people coming back with any effects saying, hey, this is, this is what I experienced negatively? Generally, no, maybe. <laughs> but some, maybe they, yeah. they, they can't be bothered to report back to us and mm -hmm. find a way to, you know, to accommodate this. But I would say, um, in generally, in the field of photobiomodulation, there's hardly any sound effect. We've got like uh, 100,000 devices in the field. Yeah. Hardly anybody come back and report, you know, um, problems. Some people generally uh, have reported, okay, when we have dealing with them, uh, they may say if they have a slight headache, they come back and they go back and use it to get, to get used to it. So, it's kind of an attenuation, yeah. you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I'm so curious about the wattage is because I've heard, you know, specifically with with uh, like things like PMF to the body or uh, different called biohacking interventions that the more wattage tends to be better. People say, hey, you know, like this thing, if, if it was a higher wattage, it would be even more effective. And I just wanted to really ask that question from you because I know that message gets perpetuated a lot around the world. Like these things need to be higher uh, wattage, but that's not the truth. Yeah, if I use a laser... There are some, you know, some of the earlier studies are me you're measuring penetration of light into the brain. Mm -hmm. Now, the mistake is you use a cadaver, you try to use a photometer and see how much penetration it goes through. Uh, you are very tempted to use like a powerful laser because you're not measuring five inches. Okay. Some people, you know, you, we have. Um, People in the field think that you got to reach a certain part of your brain, maybe two inches deeper or something. So I'm not measuring this through this cadaver of the mm -hmm. brain, you know, or tissues. I think it's a mistake because you cannot use dead tissues and compare with life tissues and brain because there's a lot of signaling going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, the same people who used to do that now are recognizing that because you can't run away from the truth, which is brain imaging, clinical outcome, and saying that you don't need that much power, you know. If you use a laser with, with 15 watts, you try to get a depth, you can be toasting your brain, right? So you may have some effect, but you better be moving it around quickly because you, if you follow, you may see smoke coming out of your skull. So, <laughs> Then you have, it feels like a bad idea. Then you have a barbecue situation. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so, so that is, oh, you wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. So the long and short of it sounds like we're creating energy increases. We're allowing the body to rid itself of some of the negative metabolites. We're increasing nitric oxide production, dilating some of the blood vessels, which logically in my mind would have a systemic effect in the brain. Just like if I, you know, contract my bicep, it's not just going to work one specific part. It's going to be, you know, it's going to find its way into the entire duration of the muscle. So it's similar in the brain. It's going to, this metabolic response will be pretty much around the entire brain. Yeah, we've got uh, people, there's some data coming out of research saying that while they're treating this, they are finding that they are exercising better. Uh, their endurance is better. But this is, you, you know, you might, you might get to interview some of these people who can report that, particularly when they have some impairment in the brain, like from yeah. a concussion and traumatic brain injury. Uh, but we're also finding out from performers, um, athletes, 
who are just feeding on your brain and they are also experiencing better endurance performance and recovery from from exercise. So this is this has its, your your brain controls the body, so it has an effect. But there is also <clears throat> our intranasal visible red. We think visible red through the nose. It doesn't go that much to the brain, so it's going to the body, and it has a systemic effect. We're getting uh, reports from athletes who are saying, "Yeah, this is I'm experiencing." Systemic effects in terms of muscle recovery like the uh, with, with the red. Mm -hmm. So we so we are seeing systemic effect, and this is going through the circulatory system and getting distributed to body. Uh, what we know is the mitochondria is not necessarily embedded in your tissues. There's also free floating mitochondria hmm. in your blood circulatory system. So as it, as it gets circulated and exposed to red light, uh, it does pretty much the same thing, get activated, get more oxygenated, and do this, you know, yep. producing more energy. So you, you mentioned some athletes who had some uh, brain injuries, uh, uh, CTE, and they've had tremendous experience or tremendous results. Let me talk a bit about that. So people who are experiencing these brain um, you know, I've had brain trauma, increasing the energy of the brain. What type of results are they uh, reporting back? So, uh, I would like to you to interview a couple Larry of these people. Yeah. Well, one of whom is Car. Larry Carr. Carr, yeah. Uh, he is now a professor at University of Utah. Uh, he has his PhD in exercise kinesiology and exercise physiology. Now, he had uh, he was a professional football player. He had concussion. It was so bad that uh, he was losing control of his behavior. This is quite typical of mm -hmm. CTE. Uh, CTE develops when you have repetitive trauma to your brain rather than just one impact. So over a period of your career, you, yep. you develop that. And he was in uh, featured, he wasn't named in the study that was published just a few months ago by Boston University, uh, Margaret Neza. Uh, he was subject one, and uh, so you can you can read the paper and see how he has progressed, but he can, there's nothing like him speaking, you know, yeah. telling his experience. And he, now, uh, you know, he he's reporting now that he's done uh, follow-up brain imaging, and he has significant regeneration of his brain cells. The one thing about CTE is, you know, uh, when you have CTE and you don't know you have CTE until you do an autopsy of the brain, and that's when you're dead. Uh, what, what you see in this imaging of the brain is the brain has shrunk. Um, there are significant, this, this shrinking of the brain is drawing the uh, function, the functioning of your the prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. which govern your your behavior. Mm -hmm. So when you lose control of that, you lose control, and you, you know you become violent and stuff like that. So, so these are symptoms, but they are supported by imaging too. So it, it, it'll be great. We I'd love to yeah. go to that. But before CT, people get concussions and they get um, you know impairments like maybe headache or fog, you know brain fog and stuff like that. Um, there is uh, data 
hopefully it will be published soon that shows improvement there. But we have earlier data too from a professional hockey player, from people with traumatic brain injury recovering. We have one case, a professional hockey player uh, as at San Jose Shark, and he recovered from his clinical symptoms as well as we did. Imaging with brain, he had regrowth in the hippocampal wow. area, which is amazing. Yeah. Of brain. So that's yeah. yeah, and so I know you guys are doing a lot of studies uh, in many different places. So you said Utah, Boston University, uh, here in Toronto at, at CAMH. Uh, I'm curious if you want to start sharing one of the ones that are maybe most interesting to you right now relative to what you're seeing uh, experientially. Okay, uh, what's most interesting to me, other than clinical, all this good stuff, is uh, going to the frontier, breaking new ground, mm-hmm. uh, discovering new things, that we cannot explain, <laughs> but you know, uh, facts of facts, the imaging are showing the other changes in the brain. Now, what's really exciting me, we are looking at the changes in actually in, um, the, func- the function of your brain, uh, how it's affecting your cognition, how if you're a meditator, maybe you'll get to experience this soon, uh, how it's elevating meditators to a different state, you know. Um, I'm not a meditator, so I'm not very good at explaining the experience, but we can see in the imaging. So we're looking at the effect of different parameters. Like I talk about power density, that has an effect. The pulse frequency, how much you pulse it, you're talking about 10 You can manipulate that for either 10 or 40. So we have a device called NeuroPro, which allows you to sweep from continuous right up to 10,000 hertz. And uh, most people don't experiencing, experience much, maybe some negative at very high frequencies, but uh, meditators have a sweet spot in the hit, and even non-meditators that get an enhanced experience with the brain. So we're doing that research. Uh, we are seeing this in EEG, we are seeing this in their related experience in measures and we are still trying to explain right. why this is happening. So talk to me about 10,000 hertz on the brain. That feels like a little bit, I like, the, I like you, I like to see the, the uh, outliers. Like we'll see like, okay. push the frontier, what's going on at 10,000 hertz? So the brain works oh. in much lower frequencies than, than that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We're nowhere near that typically. What's the highest yeah. brain in brain frequency in gamma? Like, I tell you what I know. All right. Is that I don't know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. thought that was I, I tried, tried 1,000 hertz and it does nothing for me. I okay. don't feel any difference. So I'm not, I'm not sensitive in that way. I'm, I'm not as long, long-term meditator. But I've got a, you know, a, a, a researcher in meditation who understands the brain using a device. And in the early days, he felt, oh, this 40 hertz is doing interesting things. Then we started to go into 100 hertz, 200 hertz, 400 hertz. His sweet spot used to be like 120 hertz, 200 hertz. Today, he's doing 1,000 hertz. Wow. So uh, progress he that. can tell you what is like. <laughs> but when, in the early days when he was going to higher frequency, the experience was not as good as lower frequency, but maybe, you know, as he adapts to this, it's higher. Um, I don't know too many people you know, needing to go to 1,000 hertz, but it's there if you want. 
Right. So, so talk to me about what's happening in the brain when you're subjecting it to these, these uh, frequencies. Is it entrainment? Is that really what we're looking at? No, it is. Okay, let me tell you what is, is happening. We point to the default mode network, okay? And when you're a meditator, you want to get out of the default mode network. So this is the, the irony of this thing um, is how come you're pointing at the default mode network but the meditators are experiencing these great things, which means that they have to be out of the default mode network. Now, it means a couple of things. And I am hypothesizing, and one day we'll come up with a paper when you have more data, is as you experience a higher frequency with this, it actually, uh, usually when you get past 40 hertz gamma, you start to get out of the default mode and start to go into another network, which is more related to meditation. And folks, you know, meditators out there who are in research, this might be interesting to you. Hmm. Um, now, you, you are starting to activate the parts of the brain that are not related to the default mode network. You know, you're talking about the, the dorsal prefrontal, the precuneus, and, you know, the posterior cingulate cortex, the entire cortex, and those areas. But you could be activating those parts of the brain that relates more to, to this higher state, which is the insula, anterior cingulate cortex. It's in, it's in the literature. Mm -hmm. you know, this was done through imaging with, uh, with fMRI. So at higher frequency, actually by pointing where these are located on the default mode network, your high frequency actually gets you out of it. Got it. And into the other network. Okay, this is my theory, and I think I will be supported by data later. Uh, because we try to do the high frequency at other locations, it doesn't work. Hmm. So it is was a real puzzle that can only can be explained this way. So the brain's an electrical organ, so we're we're sending these frequencies into the brain with light. And that's in some way impacting the electrical signature of the brain. So it's affecting its you know, electrical signature, which is, you know, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. So where, where it's spending most of its time. Does that make sense? Is that correct? Well, I just okay, want to understand. These are the things we also learning. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to achieve 40 hertz in your brain for whatever reason. Part of it is, you know, related to Alzheimer's disease and stuff. Okay, uh, for meditators, okay, your sleep spots will be 120 hertz, um, but we may not be achieving it the way we want, you know. But if I induce 40 hertz, it doesn't mean that I would, I would probably get a big percentage of the people who have 40 hertz in the brain, but not everybody, because what we are finding out, in watch out for the data when it gets published, is some people are, are hitting gamma of the chart when we're inducing four hertz. Hmm. And we have a we have cases where we induce 40 hertz and it's not they're not getting 40 hertz in the EEG. We have a spiking at four hertz. Hmm. <laughs> now that tells me that every brain is different. Yeah. Okay. The bottom line is the brain, now now we're doing this meditation study. The brain is responding to 
the way we do it further by moderation in significant ways because we compare against placebo. Placebo is pretty much nothing is happening. When we're doing this on the brain, the brain is responding, but responding very differently. Um, so which, which means that we, uh, we have to do more work and we can go into that at some stage, what we're going to do. But uh, this is what we're finding. Now, what is also very interesting is uh, this is doing, we're doing work with um, Reza from Cambridge Center mm -hmm. for Addiction and Mental Health at the University of Toronto. He's an EEG expert. But we're also doing work with Baycrest Hospital on real-time fMRI and finding really interesting things. Uh, different power has different effect, different pulse frequency have different effect, different locations have different effect. And we are seeing some combinations on uh, a scene that the brain fully lights up with certain combinations. Hmm. We are still doing the study. Um, we have to get more subjects because we may show different things with different subjects. But definitely, this has an effect on the brain. Now, fMRI shows a couple of things. It shows the blood blood oxygen level dependency, BOLD, both. But when you measure also the cerebral blood flow, is also very significant, but they're also different. And it is teaching us a number of things yet to be accomplished. But I'm just saying it, you know, the, uh, when data comes out, it will support, you know, more hypothesis that the oxygen read for the biomodulation at certain wavelength is being used up by the mitochondria more effectively. So I just want to say that because yeah. going to the mechanism can be quite complicated. Got it. So increased blood flow, increased mitochondria function, just like we talked about in the beginning, right. and people are seeing that benefit across the board. Right. Yeah. What are you interested about in the study? You said we're going to study this next in that meditation study. What's the direction that you guys are going to pursue? We will, after many, uh, now that we pretty much, not just us, but many people have confirmed that further biomodulation does have a big effect on the brain. Okay, now how can we make it better? I am comparing it with other forms of brain stimulation, like electrical stimulation, right. magnetic stimulation. Yep. Uh, now there is more discussion about focus ultrasound. Um, so these are other methods. Personally, looking at the data, I believe that without you feeling the sensation like electrical stimulation, you pull more power, you feel tingling in your brain. And yep. You know, uh, the transcranial magnetic stimulation, you actually feel the knocking and just higher power. So these are the effects, you know, but this, you don't really feel anything. There's not, if you do it properly, there's no real thermal effect. The brain doesn't heat up with further biomodulation. We know because fMRI can measure all this stuff. Mm -hmm. There's no thermal effect in the brain if you, you know, you control it. Right. But we, we, can, we can see the uh, response uh, from the brain, from this other imaging, when I compare it in the literature with um, you know, TMS and so on, maybe it's a little bit early, but it's showing that there's possibly more effect. Without, this, without these sensations, uh, there's, you know, with the right combination, you can get more effects from the brain. Yep. 
So we are looking into learning more and being able to personalize to each person. I'm particularly interested in brain conditions like dementia and so on, see if we can have actually more effect uh, out of this. We are doing a study using the knowledge, literature, and you know, having a device that you can do in the clinical trial, you can do this at home, you can have a sham and all that you know, combinations, but I think one day we'll be able to personalize as we do more. We're not going to delay all this clinical study, but we will continuously do uh, assessments of, of, of you know, people with different brain conditions uh, to personalize it in such a way that it is optimized to help this person. Or even for the athlete, um, you, you know, I can go into like, Maybe talk about flow state where they perform. Yeah. So first I'll say for the listener, I've tried TDCS, so transcranial direct current. It's uncomfortable. Like you can definitely feel it. And there was a company that used to do it. I think they went out of business. Halo. Halo. Yep. Yeah, they, they showed some promising data. I'm not sure what happened there. I haven't tried the transcranial magnetic stimulation, but I've heard amazing things about it. But you're saying as far as comparing light, electrical, and magnetic stimulation, this one seems to be most promising as far as overall benefit. Or would you think it's on par with magnetic? Because I've heard, I've heard magnetic is just transformative to people with PTSD and brain trauma. So TMS has been approved by the FDA to treat depression. Yep. I think they're looking to like schizophrenia or obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. You know, these, these things. But it's not pleasant like to have like... Oh, uh, yeah. You can feel a knocking. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> But I think for treatment-resistant uh, depression, it seems to be helping. Hmm. And now they are, com you know, comparing it with maybe ketamine and so hmm. uh, They're comparing it to ketamine or combining it with ketamine? I think uh, there is some studies going on and comparing the effects you know, with ketamine. Or Interesting. Maybe to do with you know, the, yeah, the uh, depression. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I don't know how much you know about ketamine. Maybe this is not a question to ask, but ketamine, from what I know, tends to wipe out the default mode network as well. So is that a similar, what, what they're comparing against? Is like the ability to get out of that default mode of thinking? Well, what, what they're trying to do is actually look at the clinical outcomes. Mm -hmm. is okay. It, is it helping with depression? It. It's so it's not helping. mechanistic, it's just clinical yeah, outcomes. Yeah, there's just quite yeah. a lot of literature now that supports ketamine for treating depression. Uh, looking at other, other psychedelics, like MDMA for PTSD, mm -hmm. that's going on right now. Uh, but... But uh, yeah, I go back to to transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's quite specific because in one location, you know, and you you they're also using it to possibly treat pain by putting on more yeah. motor. And it's incredibly expensive. You have to go somewhere to do it because you can't take it home with yourself, by yourself. Yeah, uh, we as a company actually are thinking of investing in TMS. More for for trying to identify the biomarkers that, to explain why this is working. Mm. But TMS seems to be so. I, I, it has its own merits. We we haven't done a depression studies yet. Uh, we're planning to do one, so you, we can't make any claim whether it's better or worse than than TMS. For now, I'd say TMS uh, works. Seems to work for depression. The other one is electroconvulsive therapy, which also uh, there's claim is published in a high impact journal. It seems to be 
working a bit better than DMS, but then that is shocking your brain. You know? Yeah. ECT is just like shock your brain out to to your brain uh, to break up the, the high connectivity yeah. that leads to this problem. So when you say cl- like we talk about clinical relevancy of, of, of outcomes, what are we talking about? So if we have a hundred people in a study or twenty people in a study, like are we talking about eleven of the twenty are, are seeing positive outcomes, or is everyone in this? Like I'm curious because obviously there's a wide array of results, but. You know, I'm always curious when when people in in science talk about the outcome of the study. Not having read it myself, are you seeing a 10% increase, a 20% increase, or you know, and across what number of of the participants? Is it usually ubiquitous? Like everyone sees some benefit, but there's obviously a variable amount, and that's kind of hard to to specifically talk about unless you pick one study. Yeah, there, there's always people are not responding. Maybe one or two, maybe. Small minority, maybe negative, but you're looking at the big body. Yeah. That's you know statistically significant number of people responding positively, at significant level, and that's why you need like look. If we talk about Halo, I think they they made some claim because there's small numbers mm-hmm. responding. I think in 2021, an independent group of academics used Halo and said there's no effect. So that, I think this, and then other people, I think the other least reporting, they're not feeling it. Yeah. So you really need to do this control study and a big study. How many people we, the one thing about devices is really not like, a, you know, they're taking a pill or injecting a drug into your, into your body, like they do for Alzheimer's. You, it's easy to have a sham. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you swallow a pill, you don't know whether it's sugar pill or it's, you know, active ingredient. Mm-hmm. But doing a, a device is really hard. Oh. First of all, we had a lot of problems to be credible in making a, a sham device being used at home that people can't figure out whether it is sham or active. So it's quite a bit of innovation and engineering involved in, in doing this. So that is a big difficulty in doing devices. And then the other is the intellectual property. Not too many studies and done with devices because it's really hard to get uh, patents on a device. It's usually there's quite a lot of prior art and stuff like that. So without a patent, uh, talking about uh, clinical trials, sham, yep. and, and all that stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, so, so there is not a lot of uh, devices company can do big clinical trials. In fact, actually, uh, most devices that are proved as medical devices are used in labs and in hospitals and clinics, not in, for home use. Right. So, so that's, that's a big drawback. But we were trying, you know, um, one thing is, we know that on one hand, we need big numbers to go out there and get like the FDA approval uh, and show to these the scientific community who are naturally skeptical until you get you show the the statistical power. Yeah. So to to get into mainstream, so that's the difficult part versus versus um, drugs. Now, um, so that is on the other hand, uh, FDA allow devices to be under the low risk general wellness category. Yeah. Even hours, you know, without making a medical claim. So we try to avoid medical claim, except um, to, you know, we have 
not make a claim but say that we're doing this clinical trial and that clinical trial. Right. So, but you guys did make a medical claim around COVID, right? That was a medical yeah, claim. And so, do you think mechanistically, like I'm always curious about, like maybe we saw positive outcomes. Do you know? Do you have any any uh, insights as to what you think was happening? Why people were seeing a positive outcome? Yeah, we have to understand why we think this might work for right. COVID before we actually put a device into a special clinical trial. Right. We hope that you get the results. Right? So we, uh, so COVID, uh, you got to know it has been approved by health. Canada, so which means that we can only make a claim in Canada. We were reviewed by FDA under emergency use when COVID was around, but when emergency use was lifted, we're no more under right. emergency use and we have to do this new big clinical trial. So we, we, um, uh, it's not feasible for us to do that because we were treating acute COVID which is almost not a thing anymore. Right. Some people are still hospitalized. So there's less interest now in acute COVID, uh, even among the you know, medical community. So unfortunately, uh, we got approval rather late in the day. Mm -hmm. But we are now going to a long COVID study, uh, which is at the moment very important because millions, literally millions of people around the world are experiencing long COVID, the, the fatigue, the chronic fatigue. The exertional exercise, malaise, when you're yeah. anything, yeah. you're really tired. And brain fog, brain fog is a big thing. So we're focusing on brain fog. Hopefully, by addressing brain fog, the brain, we might help to address this chronic fatigue as well. So that has actually started. We literally recruited our first subject a few days ago. Uh, the study is a pilot study now being conducted in Florida. Uh, once we have the pilot study completed and see what the data looks like, if it is good, we'll, lead, we'll go into a bigger clinical study yep. for long COVID. So, okay. so one thing that... Go ahead. Okay. To treat acute COVID, we weren't focusing on the brain. We were focusing on the respiratory yep. area. So the, uh, by the time you experience... So we were treating um, people with serious symptoms of COVID-19 at the time. So it would have gone down to the lower respiratory tract, uh, which means that you want to be able to treat the lung, mainly the lower respiratory tract, and also the other parts of your body, you know, the, the virus is going to attack the other organs of your body as well, mainly the brain and, and so on. So we are focusing, and also the nose area, which they come in. So we have an internasal, we have this on the chest, the direct near infrared to the sternum, which has the effect of stimulating the bone marrow, stimulate um, stem cells, migrate to the thymus area to mature into the thymus, the T cells, yep. to boost the immune system, also help your body to heal because photobiomodulation does help reduce the inflammation in your body. We have evidence now that it helps to reduce the flow of pro-inflammatory cytokines to help it to actually to avoid it getting worse. But now we're moving into long COVID, particularly for the brain. Yeah, so that's particularly interesting. We didn't actually bring up inflammation at the beginning. We talked about all the potential mechanisms, but if it's dropping inflammation in the brain, 
I think that's going to have just ubiquitous benefits across the board because there's so many people, even children who have inflamed brain. I'm curious, um, yeah, if there's, is there specifically data on that or we just know mechanistically because it's, it's stimulated the mitochondria, increasing nitric oxide, that that inflammation will, be, will drop? Or do you guys have actual data that shows it? Yeah, we have some data to show that um, uh, there's another study that's ongoing right now at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto to look at the metabolites in the brain that uh, would relate to mitochondrial function. So uh, we see how that goes. But there's enough in the literature to show that, um, you know, your neurons is responding because the mitochondria is, is responding. There's literature showing that the, uh, the, the measure relating to yeah. oxy oxygenation in your brain. So as I came in, you mentioned the recent study out of Spain on creativity. I'd love to hear what that uh, result was. Yeah, so this group in Spain, um, the researchers ordered our devices some time ago. We didn't know what they were for. Then they published. And uh, so it was great. They, what they showed was they used the gamma. Uh, they gave theoretical reasons why it might help with creativity, Creative relates to better functioning of your brain, or can relate to cognition. So, so they, um, so they have certain measures like you know finding alternate solutions to solve a problem and stuff. Um, so that was uh, significant. I think what's important in that study is uh, they are publishing publishing data on brains that are normal, the normal functioning brain. So that helps us to uh, now get into a territory of what's happening to normal, healthy brains. Uh, we are doing imaging, and we are seeing changes in the EEG. I talk about meditators. That is more than normal. They're high-functioning brains. You know, they get into a diff different state. Um, and that is not, it's more imaging. Um, and until we publish, it's not being peer-reviewed. So we can only say, right. okay. For sure, we see the imaging and let other people, you know, assess, you know, look at our data and, you know, and whether they agree or not. But this is peer reviewed, it's been published. So it helps with, you know, you, know, you can say creativity can relate to anything. You're normal, your school work, you yeah. uh, in sports, in the field, whatever you're doing in your, in your work. Do you remember some of the details of the study? Like how many people, um, what exactly were they measuring? I think I don't. We, so we could just share it in the podcast and yeah, in the notes. Yeah, I'd love to see it. We can share it about it. Yeah, I'd love to see it because that's really interesting because curiosity, or sorry, creativity, measures of creativity, yeah. I'd love to see what they're exploring and how many people and, and what yeah. the end result was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, obviously you get more details, you know, like what are they actually measuring, number of people, yeah. uh, measuring against control, stuff like that. Uh, talking about researchers that have ordered our devices, did independent work, and then we only learn about it when it was published. Yeah. There's another group in Italy. Uh, same thing, they, they had the also in gamma, so they can do 10 hertz and 40 hertz, and they did it on autistic children. And um, the improvement was actually uh, significant. They did alpha and gamma, you know, on the same day, so one in the morning, one in the evening. They had measures for autism, significant, significant improvement. That's, I really value these studies because 
totally unbiased. Yeah. We have no influence. We have no influence. We only know about it. They don't. They didn't tell us that they they were publishing or published. We found these publications ourselves. That, that's yeah. what we, we really like. That's it. incredible. So one of the things that I found very interesting is the number of different areas that you're getting really great feedback, not only research, but just people with experiential feedback, like you said, with Larry Carr and um, this lady who was on the uh, U.S. Ju judo team. So tell us a little bit more about Larry Carr, his experience, um, what type of um, reporting he gave you guys. So I did mention that he had suffered you know, symptoms that are quite typical with CTE, um, which is you know, your brain has shrunk. Yeah. So you lose functionality in various parts of your brain other than not being able to think straight. You know, your memory is not working. Uh, the, this, your brain, in particularly the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function, controlling your behavior. So that has impaired and you lose control of your behavior. Now, Larry is completely normal now. He is actually helping us to kind of, because he's a... Professor at the University of Utah, he's mm. very interested in doing, you know, having this research done at his university. Uh, the psychiatry department is actually doing quite a lot of work and see, you know, they're going to publish some papers too. Now, what Larry is also saying recently is, you know, he's done some early, some imaging of his brain when he did his study at Boston University. He's got some new imaging done at the University of Utah, uh, showing that he, his brain has regenerated more new brain cells. So he's got more volume in his brain now. And you can tell by, you know, being normal in your behavior, being able to... Actually, Larry is very high-functioning. He's pretty, pretty sharp. Yeah. Now, uh, that can only mean that the, the, you know, the, the CD, those parts of your brain that has shrunk... Growing back. Has, has grown back, which yeah. is... How long did he do it? Oh, I think this study was, so when the first study must have been done about four, I just feel like it's about four years ago, three or four years ago. So now he's using the, the gamma regularly and that has been, so he has regenerated over time. But the dramatic improvement was seen within the study itself. And uh, what Dr. Nasus, you can see in the, paper actually is published. It's about four cases of retired athletes who like, experienced a re repeated traumatic brain injury and suspected CTE. I think I don't know whether suspected was used, but you can, like I said, you can only confirm CTE after you're dead and done the autopsy. Yeah. So you suspected all the time. Uh, you can sus suspect your CTE because of the symptoms. So he had that and he uh, yeah, within that study period, he has recovered dramatically. Actually, what's interesting, they did first week of photobiomodulation, not without device, with another device, in a lab. And that actually showed that they improved, all four of them. But when they stopped, because study over, go home, right. they actually declined. Hmm. All of them declined. Their depression scores were worse. Their, their PTSD scores, sleep scores, sleep scores, you know, like stupid stuff. Different wow. colors, different words, yeah, and a bunch of things. So everything got That's worse. Really interesting. But so Doctor Neza, Neza said, use this device you can use at home. So after like uh, I think a couple of months without this device, 
it got back into device again. And they all improved again. So it shows mm. that CTE is degenerative. It is something that's like Alzheimer's disease. You know, it just eats away your brain and you get worse over time. Yeah. Uh, normally, it's irreversible. But in his case, um, it's reversed, including imaging, which shows that uh, you know, regeneration of brain cells. Right. When, they started, when he started using this again. Um, so that study covered improvement, decline, use this, and then improvement again. Fascinating. Until whatever time they, they were using it. And yeah. we, yeah, Larry is in touch with us. He's, like I said, he's, you know, he's a great advocate for the biomodulation. Yeah. And you said you've had many other athletes, the lady from judo. Any other clinical experiences that you've seen that are just unusual? I'd love to hear about the kind of reportings, findings. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, in, in, a lot of our data is coming out of traumatic brain injury uh -huh. in terms of, uh, in terms of medical, you know, medical data and stuff like that. We are waiting for some manuscript to be written uh, from data that was obtained maybe yeah, actually, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, let's wait for that to be published. But, um, like we have smaller cases. I've said we, we published, uh, co-published with the uh, University of California, San Francisco with Professor Linda Chow. Um, she has done this work on traumatic brain injury. Uh, she did imaging. And it showed very interesting things. So you got clinical measures supported by objective imaging. Um, she has also, now we're talking about UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. Uh, she has done a couple of other studies that used our, our devices. Uh, one of which was dementia. She did a case for the eight, you know, or she did, uh, she did control those from usual care and those that are using this device. And she tracked them over all 12 weeks. Measures of, um, basically, a cognitive measure of your brain performance that they're normally used to, to track dementia patients in a clinical study, ADAS, COC. That is, uh, so she did that, that was improvement. But again, this was supported by imaging that showed the improve. This, uh, I think in that study, she did not do the, um, the structural imaging, but she did fMRI that showed improved connectivity in the default mode network to, to support this data. Right. And she did other things like uh, golf wall illness, which is, um, a problem with the U.S. veterans that came back from the the war in Kuwait in the late nineties, very you know, came back with uh, problems, headache, damage in the brain, and wasn't well explained. But the theory is that they uh, they inhale these toxins from burn pits and stuff like yeah. that, uh, and uh, they showed improvement with the neural alpha actually. So, uh, yeah, and that is, well, other than people telling us how great they're, you know, improving, yeah. we actually have clinical data. I look forward to yeah. seeing all the papers, and then I'll link to it all in the show notes. And yeah. 
So one thing that, you know, this is probably a really easy general question. It's like, who should use this? So it, so if someone who's um, sitting at home going, I don't know if this is for me, I don't know if it's not for me, like, you know, is this the type of thing that everyone would benefit from? Or if you have a really high-functioning, healthy brain, there's probably no reason to use it. I think that based on experience and so on, this is helpful in maintaining your brain, even if your brain your brain's healthy. It, it probably will improve it because all of healthier brains maybe have some room for improvement. Or uh, you can improve your cognition. I can tell from my personal experience. I've used this for a long time. How long? Well, I think the first device, the trainers are probably in the mid 2000. Um, so I've, 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 I don't do it. I haven't done it recently, but I trained my own IQ. Yeah. So my IQ was progressively higher as I got mm. older. Wow. <laughs> the IQ is supposed to peak in your twenties or something. Right. But you know, it got higher. So maybe it's because because of this. Uh, people who work with me probably can say that I'm pretty pretty sharp. I know a lot, I know a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know a little bit. <laughs> so uh uh yeah, most people my age would have retired. Yeah, so I think from personal experience, this is helping. I, you know, I'm not getting any dementia. Any signs of decline? People who use this are reporting that they're not you know, having, developing problems with their brain. So that is from experience. But actually doing clinical studies on uh, healthy people is not easy to do, but we're going to do Particularly with brain imaging and see what, you know. Not easy to do because of because imaging. not much to measure on the upside. Right. And it's hard to it's a little subjective. compare against uh, sham, placebo. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, we hope we may be able, be able to see uh, tests on things like reaction time and stuff. But we may not be doing it. We are waiting for some data to come up with a couple of universities, publish and see what's <laughs> happening with reaction time and how do we quantify a healthy brain? So are you actually, when someone comes into the study, if you were to say, I want to do a study on 100 healthy brains, what are you, what are you quantifying? Well, normal people, we, we you know, they, they come in and, uh, you know, part of the inclusion criteria is that you, you don't have a problem with, you haven't got a stroke, you're not, you know, you're not being diagnosed with dementia and stuff. Uh, so not, and not do, too wide. Uh, we do probably use the, uh, the MOCA or, you know, MMSC, normally a test of your cognitive ability, very yeah. simple test, um, to, to see that your brain is functioning normally. And then measure probably some brain performance. We, uh, and we are going to do a study, actually going to, going to start pretty soon, looking, tracking the EEG of healthy brains. Uh, before and after this, we, won't, we are going to even track them in real time and see how the the brain waveforms are changing yeah. with this. Um, even healthy brains may have some issues, you know. Sure. Who knows? Um, your, you know, the popular the popular 
uh, imaging done with a lot of uh, say, neurofeedback practitioners, the QEG, brain maps, you can see, okay, you think you're healthy, but maybe you're not. Right. Do you think this would help with people with diabetes who start to get uh, elevated? Uh, well, a lot of them start to get dementia because of uh, decreasing mitochondrial function in the brain. Yeah, uh, we haven't tracked diabetes and pre-diabetic, mm. but I can say that before I actually used this regularly, I was diagnosed, I was in California at the time, I was diagnosed as, pre, as pre-diabetic. After using it, I developed this after like one year later, everything's normal. I had I was pre-diabetic and I had high cholesterol. Really? No. And I said everything is perfect. Can't. That's interesting. So one of the things that actually, you, you may have heard of this study. I've heard, I don't know the numbers exactly, but there was a recent study released, or maybe it wasn't recent, I just heard about it recently, where they uh, examined the caloric expenditure of the brain in isolation for people playing chess. And it was just like ludicrously high uh, caloric expenditure. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you can look at the caloric uh, output or the caloric demand of something like this, if it's increasing the mitochondrial function, if it's increasing, you know, blood flow to the brain, if there's actually some significant changes in caloric uh, expenditure. I think from the imaging we're seeing from fMRI, real time, there will be more um, oxygen being directed to the mitochondria to produce the energy. So I think it's happening. Uh, how do we measure it? Not quite sure hmm. uh, how you measure. Yeah. Well, we we already we already doing it through fMRI imaging. Yeah, I don't know how they'd measure caloric expenditure in the brain. I thought you might have an insight on that because, like, if they measure it in these chess players, I have to imagine it's possible. I don't know how though. We know when they do actually playing chess. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I can measure when somebody's lying lying in the, you know in just with the scanner, res- respired gases. Yeah, mm-hmm. and doing this, and you see greater. Oxygen level in the brain. Hmm. Uh, in terms of blood flow, and actually, I think oxygen being redirected to the mitochondria to produce more energy. I think you're going to start seeing poker players showing up at, at the World Series of Poker with this thing on their head, and everyone's going to have it at the poker and chess players are going to be using this. Actually, what I want to see, or to try to see, is how people, um, especially athletes, can get into the flow state. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We, yes. So I can um, relate it to, you know, when people are in a flow state, they're not, they shouldn't be thinking too much. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be using too much of your prefrontal cortex and, and, and think. So sometimes I think when I watch a game on television, like say basketball, uh, so you see they're missing this, the baskets, you know, when it usually would put it in. Yeah, they think so. Um, on the at the free throw line, they're missing it. So, <laughs> and so they're thinking. If you're missing it. Mm-hmm. There's too much pressure. I think they're thinking. So they're not. They're out of that particular state. Mm-hmm. Let your body do its work. I mean, these hundreds and hundreds of hours of training would have put you into that state. Right. Your muscle memory would have done it. When I think about. Uh, Someone like Steph Curry, uh-huh. you know, three-pointers. He moves so fast doing this, just throwing it in. I, you look yeah. at his face. I don't think he's even thinking. He's right. Just get doing. Yeah, so much it. repetition. And uh, those who are missing it are just thinking. 
So I, I think that is he gets into this this state more naturally than others. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that he's talented, you know, in doing that kind of stuff. So it is that still a brain. And although you are in a stressful situation, you know, in a game, but your mind is, I think there's a lot of slow wave activity, not too much using the default mode network. Out of it, out of the alpha state, actually when you're in default, when you're in a flow state, you uh, should be out of the alpha state. Alpha state is like 10 hertz. So somewhere there, you are activating this slow state because that is where the mode, the the autonomic system, the net, you know, the part of the brain where you're not thinking, and also high frequency state, or possibly where more of the brains are functioning together. So I think um, to get in a flow state is get your train to be able, get your brain to be able to get into that state naturally without thinking. Uh, but when you're training and try to learn new skills, I think you need the high frequency. Um, so gamma when you're training, alpha when you're trying you to get, get into flow. the memory. Actually, yeah. the um, like higher than forty hertz, we get into memory consolidation, and when you're maybe eighty hertz higher than that, and when you're forty hertz, you're actually uh, more to do with consolidation of memory. So, but when you're not in the field and not performing. I think you can go into the alpha state because that's where your default mode comes in. It helps you to, you know, get into the, do the, mm-hmm. uh, your brain consolidation, mm-hmm. you know, getting a stronger And so default mode. how would you time it? Would you suggest using the gamma in the morning and the alpha in the evening or, or op- like gamma to, com- to consolidate memories at night or would that be too stimulating for someone at night? Yeah, I get this report from people that they, when they use gamma in the evening, it is stimulating. Yeah, they, they're, they're processing going on in the brain. And, um, it is not for some, I think, especially in the beginning, uh, it was not helping in the sleep. So they use alpha. Alpha get you into that state where you are, you know, introspectively. Oh, no. Resting and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So gamma early in the day or before I'm going to yeah, train or something? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so can you just, in, in, in wrapping, compare, you said there's the NeuroPro and there's the V-Lite, and what's the NeuroPro and how do they compare? So the NeuroPro is not meant, uh, no, you, people can use it. So the NeuroPro is actually designed for researchers. Okay. Uh, Clinicians who understand EEG, able to read and able to, to understand what they need to do to correct the brain. It is also used by another group of people who are long-term meditators and wants to get into that state where the, uh, the, band, the brain is more expansive uh, and you know, they have this uh, maybe a feeling of bliss. A bliss state. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, so they can do this sweep. So NeuroPro allows you to go and program a sweep. You know, like you start with 
four hertz or two hertz or whatever, you know, five hertz, you go in incremental stages of next five hertz from five to 10 to 15 to 20 and so on. So it, after like two minutes, here, two minutes, two minutes. Yeah. Until it hits a certain frequency where like long-term meditators are that it will experience a, you know, the mind expanding. And, you know, that sounds like fun. So sign me up, Dr. Lou. How do I get so it? I, I, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to experience because, like I say, I'm not a long-term meditator. Is that available on the website? You can purchase those? Yeah. Uh, actually, the NeuroPro is available. We're actually running, at the moment, we're running of stock. But, uh, but it'll be, you know, be available in a couple of months. Uh, but these ones are available. The neuro alpha, neuro gamma, the intranasal we have, the intranasal we have uh, can do multiple things. So they are a lot cheaper than this full uh, transcranial helmet. But it does other things like it has visible red, which is in the nose, not quite reaching the brain, but can go through your circulatory system. We have both the LED and the laser version, the low-level laser version. Then we have the blue, which is antimicrobial. Hmm. Uh, blue has been found. So this is different devices, or this one device this I can do. Don't have it. Unfortunately, it's not here. Fair. But uh, it's on a website. It's called an MIP. MIP stands for multimodal intranasal photobiomodulation. It's a mouthful, so it's an IP. So we have the blue for antimicrobial. If you have you feel an infection in your sinus area or you know. In your nose, it could be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, then you have the fourth one, which is the near infrared, mm -hmm. which is meant from nose to go from nose to the brain. Uh, that can be so. This little device is has its intelligence. It can you know which one you've slotted into, you know, mm -hmm. into the controller. It knows whether it is red near infrared or whatever it is. Now the infrared. It can also sense that you've started in the near infrared, which is the 810. Then it allows you to switch between 10 hertz and 40 hertz too. So in a low cost, I think with all this combination is $499. Then you have, hmm. you can choose. If you, do, if you don't want to have the whole thing, I, I don't know the, the, all the... Yeah, but somebody's going to need to know what all these things do. So you guys yeah, have... So it's, it's, uh, the device on the website actually... It's moving very fast. It's becoming very popular because now we have one little device with all the different uh, functions. So just go to the website. You is there MIP? Which uh, I don't have here. So you have this one that goes to the brain as well, ten thousand forty hertz. Beautiful, but that you can't get the one that goes to the brain on the V light. It doesn't have that. Or on no, there's a V light MIP. MIP V light neuro neuro. Uh, so that's this one only has the one that goes to the brain. So Cut this it. is focused mainly on the brain. Okay, and so these are the same. These different ones. This is just the newer. Uh, this model. newer one is going to come out in a few months. So for now, that's available. So this new one is. Uh, stay tuned. More advanced. Yeah, it's more advanced. Yeah. So for um, now, this is available. Actually, that's amazing. Uh, do you want to mention the website where people can um, purchase the uh, device? We're obviously uh, linked to it. Yeah, sure the, the website the V Light V I E L I G H T dot com. Um, you see a lot of. Information, maybe we'll just bring them with information. I don't know, it's too, hopefully it's easy to navigate Yeah. Uh, with all the different devices. What's good is we 
we, we teach, the website teaches you about photo bio-modulation. It shows you the research. I think somewhere in there, it shows who we are, we are collaborating with. Uh, we're collaborating with, I don't know, like 30 researchers around the world. That's amazing. There's a lot going on in this company. It's, it's a small company, but uh, we pride ourselves, you know, yeah, so you got you got a lot of irons in the fire, and there's so many people that want to use your product, which is yeah. wonderful. It means you're doing something right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you being here, or letting you letting me be here with you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. And that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Ben Bukolsky. This is the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. My mission with this podcast is to give you back your power. Bodybuilding, muscle building, health optimization has given me so much in my life. And I hope it can give you the same from empowerment to confidence to ultimate what I believe is, is a successful life. And for me, success isn't about the money in my bank account. It's ultimately living authentically with who I am. And ultimately, bodybuilding and muscle building has allowed me to do that, build my confidence, face my demons, face my insecurities, and work through them. And so I hope this podcast is valuable to you to allow you to fuel your journey, to optimize your brain, your energy, and your body. Ladies and gents, thank you for being here. And one more shout out to our sponsor, Bioptimizers. That's bioptimizers.com slash muscle and use the code muscle10 to get hooked up. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.